Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, where theology matters. That's right. So we're going to take a quick one episode, probably, although famous last words. Uh, break from our current discourse in um, Sovereign Grace to talk about some current topics of um, social importance, at least in America. But, um, you know, we we ripple around the world and other places ripple to us, too. So we all influence well, Both of these topics are yeah. hot topics elsewhere as well. Yeah. So the two topics we want to talk about were... Um, Homosexuality, and specifically the uh, recent thing that's kind of brought this to the head is the United Methodist Church had a vote on whether or not to allow, as I understand it, um, openly professing and practicing gay clergy and also allow condone same-sex marriage. Because I saw a whole lot of LGBTQ terminology and... Yeah, I, I was using gay as like a, a, a catch-all, but yes, okay. lesbian. Well, they are very different, right? Right. The, the What's interesting to me is the... The T and the, the Q. Well, the, yeah, the T and the Q are very, very different from the L and the G. But at the same time, the L and the G are very different from one another as well. Yeah. Well, at least I mean, culturally and in, in, right. in the way that those kind of express themselves. Yeah, and, and just to interrupt ourselves from the very beginning, I, I heard uh, uh, recently about uh, Martina Navratilova yep. getting um, kind of the boot from the accepted circle because she said something really kind of offensive that people who had grown up as males and had experienced all of the you know male hormones and stuff that you get during puberty should not be competing against females in any sport, which I... The horror. It's just so offensive. How (laughs) dare she recognize biology and physiology? Right. Um, And I I guess you probably heard about it from James White like I did. And then I saw afterwards that, unfortunately, it appears that she has retracted. Oh, she's retracted. Oh, man. That's what I saw. So, at least what... Or apologized. or I don't know. Yeah. At least what James White was saying was, I guess maybe nine months ago, she said something. And then maybe this was the retraction because I don't know. Did you have a timestamp on it? Anyways, what he said was, and then she said, well, I'm going to, you know, um, do some research. So she did a bunch of research. She came back and she's like, yeah, this is, this is the deal. If you've gone through puberty as a male and you, and you've started that process, you're, your bones, your muscles, your tendons and ligaments are all just different. Um, yeah. And they give you an unfair advantage. Anyways, uh, so yeah, there I'm is... I'm pretty sure I saw an article since then that she has hedged in some way, whether apologizing or retracting or... But I just don't understand the argument against it. Because it's plain to see. I mean, I've seen the videos of... You know, the high school wrestling where it's a guy and a girl wrestling. And quite honestly, most of the time, that's just not a fair fight. Right. 
So no, I have seen some girls like, you know, put like a sleeper hold on a guy, or, but those are, I think probably some of the lesser weight classes or something. Yeah. But once you get to, anyways, we kind of digress. So recently the Methodist church um, voted and for now, I think they've stayed the course. They voted in what they call their traditional bill, which would maintain a traditional view on marriage, which would exclude, uh, they won't bless off same-sex marriages, and um, clergy cannot be openly other than cisgendered straight. Um, and... Um, so we, I thought we might talk about it. I, I did see one article that I referenced to you, and you can find it out there if, it, well, if you just Google um, Methodist, two sides, LGBT, two sides of the story. He wasn't necessarily arguing from a biblical standpoint that I could tell. It was a long article, and I you know skimmed parts of it. But he was basically saying, hey, there's two sides of this. There's not only the LGBT folks, but there's the traditionalist folks who have been ousted from other denominations who have who have been um, abused or, you know, mistreated. And so let's not just focus on the folks who feel like they're, you know, getting the short end of the stick this time, um, which I thought was at least from a, a media was a fair and balanced mm-hmm. article. Uh, and I, I looked for numbers on this, but I couldn't find. So if you if y'all find the numbers, an article posted with the numbers, uh, I look for you know like in the Senate you can look what, how everyone voted. I tried to find something like that on this, and I couldn't find it. You mean like numbers? Yeah, like who voted what? Not just the the overall numbers, because I, I someone said that if it wasn't for the African and possibly the Filipino churches, if it was just based on American churches then it would have not gone the same way that it did. That would have gone to the LGBT side of things. I think I saw something that it was in the 400s to in the 300s. So considering that those churches actually seem to be much more socially conservative in many ways, that seems like a reasonable yeah. assertion, but I haven't seen the breakdown either. Yeah, I tried to find numbers to be able to verify that, but I didn't. Um, um, and then we listened to, and you can find this to Jeffrey Warren goes by JJ Warren. He's a delegate from, from New York. We just listened to the audio, mm-hmm. um, who gave a speech, I guess it was well received. Um, but he was obviously arguing for the inclusion of LGBT clergy and, uh, acceptance of same sex marriage. Well, he's gay and wants to be a pastor. So that, right would be difficult if he voted the other way. <laughs> so um, here's some things that stuck out for me. He said the Methodist church wants God's justice. And then he started making all these allusions to Christ's crucifixion. Like like the church dying and resurrecting. Yeah. Was he talking about the church? He, well, the denomination, I mean, like... Part of his concern was that they would meet there and they wouldn't get anything passed or they'd get something passed that wasn't constitutional. And so he didn't want it to be in vain. Um, and so he started throwing all these illusory terms to the crucifixion. I thought uh, it was very uncomfortable for me to listen to. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't want to use those terms that loosely, even for something that wasn't sinful. 
much less in support of something that the Bible calls an abomination. It was almost like a metaphor looking for an example or something to yeah. me. It, it didn't... Like he's just throwing in speech. Kind yeah. Of. It, I, had, I had trouble following the arguments that he was trying to make. Not, not only do I know that I disagree with his position based on what he was stating clearly, I, did, I didn't really understand. It, it seemed to me like what he was saying was, um, let's avoid a split. A split might lead to the death of our denomination something about maybe it then resurrecting and it might be worth it, but we should at least try to avoid it if possible. That that's about as close as I can yeah, come I'm not, to. I didn't get that. I thought he was more talking about the legislation, but neither one of us are Methodists. So there's, yeah. he, there may have been things that were being said throughout the day that would make more sense if we were there, that we would understand the context. Mm-hmm. Um, the really the phrase I really wanted to, or the part of it that I really wanted to hone in on was at the end, he says that he's having success reaching out to folks in the least religious college in America, which I don't know how yeah, you I know, know that. Um, I think he said he was from upstate New York. So I'm curious, is that like Syracuse or is Cornell in New York? Don't, don't get me to lie on camera. I don't, I, I don't know. I'm yeah. just, I'm curious to know because I've, my brother I mean, we went to Harvard, and I've heard some stories about Harvard, <laughs> and so I know where that one is. And yeah. uh, Harvard and Yale seem like they give any other school a run for their money for least religious right. or least Christian, maybe, right. because there are definitely religions. <laughs> yeah. So his claim was that he was having um, success evangelizing these folks who are presumably gay or at least members of the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. Um, by telling them that God loves them and, they, and that they had never heard that before because what they get from, I guess, from all the mainline um, is that God hates them. So, I mean, in one sense, I would, yes, God loves them. And in one sense, no, God hates them. Um, well, as we've said many times, as we've been going through Tulip, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who repents of their sin and places their faith in Christ will find him to be a perfect savior. I think we would have a striking disagreement with JJ about what it means to repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ and whether or not the work of the Holy Spirit in somebody's heart would convict them of homosexual behavior. Right. But um, I, I am, I'm very much in support of taking the gospel onto campuses. I'm very afraid that if somebody says you can continue in a sinful lifestyle that the Bible clearly condemns, you know, it's kind of a have your cake and eat it too type of Christianity. Yeah. And I would, I would argue that that's probably not actually a gospel at all. Right. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, and the other part of it. I don't know how you get around um, the clear condemnation of that behavior. And if you are witnessing to folks, what are they being saved from? You know, if, why would you need a gospel if everyone is good? If God loves us the way we are, what are we being saved into? Is it just a big happy family at that point? Or is there a real risk of, separation in, into an eternity of hell. 
Well, at least politically these days, and, and uh, I'm going to speak to kind of a different segment, but in my mind, there are some commonalities and themes, but in much of our culture today, the biggest sins that you can commit are being white, having privilege, um, being a guy, you know, being born to an upper middle class family. Telling someone that they're wrong. Right. So, so um, we've got to be so tolerant that we're going to be intolerant to the people who aren't tolerant enough for the rules that we've made up in the last five minutes. And by the way, if you don't comply with the current rules 10 years ago, you're also out of luck. Doesn't matter if you comply with them now, you have to comply with the current rules into the past, right. which is an interesting conundrum. But I wonder whether, I, I don't think that he's a dumb person. He, he, he spoke as somebody who's fairly articulate. And so when he says the justice of God, I'm assuming that there is a content to that. Oh, I read, I think maybe this is me leaping to a bad assumption, but I clearly read social justice. No, that's what I'm saying yeah, is yeah. I, I don't think it's a vacuous statement, but what I mean is perhaps what Jesus is saving people from today is their intolerance, mm. is their reliance upon the scripture as a moral code. I read another article by a Methodist minister. I, I can't find it now, but um, actually I think my wife forwarded it to me from Facebook or something. Anyway, he, he said, we need to be very careful when we use the Bible as a moral guide. I agree. Well, not how he means it. Yeah, yeah. Not how I guess I agree. It. Yes, I guess I would agree too. Because if, if you pull some random verse out, and I think Christians sometimes do this to the Quran too. So if you're going to use the Quran against a Muslim or you know a Hadith or something, you need to know what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, this guy, I think, makes the point brilliantly, unintentionally, because he then goes on to say the Bible affirms Abraham sleeping with Hagar. That's his first argument for why the Bible is not a moral code. I mean, how, how do you... <laughs> how do you, What Bible is he reading? I'm not really all that sure. But my, so my point is, um, it, it seems like there are a lot of people who want to bring this in. And the worst thing that you can do is be somebody who holds to a traditional understanding of Scripture who says that the Bible continues to say what the church has been saying that it says for 2,000 years and really on into the past. I mean, there, there was no, there, there has never been a question among the people of God about um, the, the nature of homosexuality. Se sexual sins have been problems. Um, certainly in the Old Testament, I think, uh, to, to some extent, sexual sin was somewhat rampant. I mean, you look at Abraham, right? Sarah says, here, come into my maid, go sleep with her. And he's like, well, that sounds like a wonderful idea. I mean, <laughs> it, it, you, you just kind of wonder about his wisdom sometimes. Right. Um, and then his sons take multiple wives and his grandsons take multiple wives. And um, I, I 
think what Jesus tells us in the New Testament is that they were wrong to be doing that, that God was allowing it and not immediately judging it for his own purposes and using it to bring about his ends, but not that it was okay. It definitely wasn't the perfect plan from the beginning because in Genesis 3, and then Jesus affirms in Matthew 19, the plan is one man, one woman, one flesh for one lifetime. That's the that's the biblical formula for marriage. Exactly. Yeah, and so uh, um, I, my point is, you get into the New Testament and you get into some of the baby churches and they're coming out of a pagan background and there's a lot of sexual baggage there and Paul yeah. deals with it too. Right. Um, but throughout all of that, the, the idea of homosexuality, really the people of God have never struggled with that particular one. And so to me, it's interesting that in the past 50 years, we've just decided that all of a sudden, you know, David was gay with Jonathan and there's all of this homosexuality in scripture. So you're saying that, just to back up, make sure I understood, are you saying that the church never understood, never struggled to understand that homosexuality was wrong in the past or that the the church never struggled with same-sex attraction? No, that, that the church has understood clearly what the Bible has taught about. Right. So both of the issues that we want to talk about tonight, homosexuality and abortion, they have, they have never historically been up for debate until minimally the 50s or 60s. I mean, right. no, nobody prior to that ever read the scriptures and said, yeah, you know, I'm not really sure. Right. And, and all of a sudden, in our culture, it becomes a lot more regular, it becomes a lot more normalized. And now we want to read the scriptures and say, yeah, I know what people have been saying for 3,500 years, but they've been getting it wrong. And I'm not a historian's historian, but at least my knowledge of the Roman culture, what we're doing today is even going beyond that. Because while there was a lot of homosexual activity, from what I understand, it was seen as not the normal, like it was like a way to, you know, exercise your lust, but they still had this idea of what the family unit was. They still procreated for kids. You know, there are these temple prostitutes, both male and female that would be around, but it was never, to my knowledge, an acceptable alternative to the male female union for the family unit, which is what is trying to be Fausted, foisted on us today. Yeah, I, this is not an area of particular expertise for me. It seems like from my reading, it was a little more normalized in Greek culture than it was in the Roman culture. Maybe um, kind of an acceptable vice in, in Roman culture, but certainly not championed. Um, and so I, I grew up in Atlanta and I knew a guy there who was a Christian, but also a sociologist. And he says that in his studies, what he found interesting was that homosexuality, I'm I'm trying to use his words, but it's been a while, so I'm kind of paraphrasing. Maybe, I don't think I'm putting words in his mouth, but he said it's basically a luxury. And what he meant by that was when you go to agrarian societies, when you go to societies that are living more at a subsistence level, everyone recognizes the absolute necessity of the next generation. And so... The idea of somebody choosing to not get married and have children in order to have kids help them work the farm mm-hmm. 
you know, everybody knew that was their duty. That was their role in society. And so you, his argument to me was in those types of cultures, instances of homosexuality go basically to zero. Um, but I would say, even if you look at like a Greek or a Roman culture where the expectation is you're going to have a new generation, you're going to have heirs, you're going to have people to help you on the farm if you're poor, you're going to have children to give your inheritances to if you're rich. I think even when other sexual deviances come into play, you don't have a complete abandonment of the family and procreation. Yeah, and I'll, um, if I can remember, I'll put the link to this uh, article below. Um, but the uh, there's a standard reason article that Alan Schleeman and Greg Kuchel co-write. And in that article, there's references to what I'm referencing. So I'm going to give you a secondary reference, but it's got the primary references in it. And basically there's a lot of, not to, that's, I'm, that's probably one facet of it, what you're saying. Um, but there, but there are a lot of even secular sources that talk about homosexuality not being genetic. Mm -hmm. And we've done a lot of identical twin studies, um, where there, the identical twins just show that it's not, um, I think it was two where in cases where one of the identical twins, uh, had same sex attraction, um, only two out of nine percentage wise were both of the twins same sex attracted. So seven out of nine times, uh, there's only one of them who experiences it. Um, and at least, especially for males, it's not a choice. Um, it, what, you looked at me weird. For males, it's not a choice? Yeah. Um, for males... I mean, that's what our society says? Or Well, that's what the research shows. Um, it's not just a, oh, I, I think we don't like guys. So if it's not genetic and it's not a choice, the, the kind of the only other options is, is developmental. So they talk about, um, you mean like a conscious choice? Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. like just a, I, I think, I guess the research shows, I don't know that for females, sometimes it can be a conscious choice, which I don't understand. I don't understand all that. Um, but anyways, there's also research. Uh, from those same secular uh, folks that you can change that it's fluid and that um, oh, I think our sexuality is immensely plastic. Yeah. And so they uh, they said that the two biggest things in common for people who changed were that they first wanted to change. And second, they believed in some type of higher power. Um, and there's actually ancient testimony to those two things. Um, around 2,000 years ago, we have written record of uh, people who changed. Uh, First Corinthians 9? First Corinthians yeah, um, 6. Uh, 6, 9. Yeah, 6, 9. And so I'll read that for you. It says, this is Paul. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Which should be maybe a scary statement for J.J., um, but no, no, but it's okay because Paul wasn't talking about homosexuality, right? Well, do not be deceived, neither fornicators. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of Paul's people. going sexual. Yeah. This isn't good. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, 
nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So all those folks, if your life is marked by those sins, that's the trajectory of your life. That's what your life is marked by. Paul says you're, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So some of those folks in Corinth were marked by these sins, mm-hmm. and yet they were washed, they were changed, they were sanctified. I would say probably all of them were marked by at least one of those. <laughs> well, 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 probably everyone even listening is marked in some way by at least some one of those. Um, and, and if you're not in that particular vice list, I'm going to guess you can find a vice list that you can find yourself in. But praise be to God that Christ is a perfect Savior. He is. And that yeah. all who call on his name can be washed, can be sanctified. Right. Can be justified, and and just go back to him saying, you know, that he let those people know that God loves them. God loves all those who call on His name. He redeems them, and He makes them a new creation. And whether they struggle with fornication, or homosexuality, or drunkenness, or reviling, or any of those things that you might find on one of those vice lists that we that Paul gives. Um, He's going to start removing that. So, <clears throat> I remember. Uh, I think it's the third Narnia book. Maybe it's the one where Eustace goes on the boat. Are you familiar with Voyage Lord? of the Dawn Treader? Yeah, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. He becomes a dragon, mm-hmm. and Aslan has to scrape off the dragon hide. And uh, scrape off is actually a little gentler than what actually happens. Right, tears it off with his claws. Right. And Eustace remarks that while you know it was it was good that it happened, he didn't realize how deep that Aslan had to tear to get it all out. And that speaks of our sin nature and, and yeah. God's uh you know scalpel that he slowly, you know, peels away at us. I really like that um illustration that C.S. Lewis gives because at the very end it, it says something like Eustace comes out and he's got new skin. Yeah. It's fresh, it's clean, it's clear. It is kind of like pure baby skin, so to right. speak. Um, he doesn't come out all scarred and beaten up and nasty. God was able to take away the old and, and leave him intact. Yeah. So um I'm going to guess any of our regular listeners, I could be wrong, um, would agree with the biblical case um, for this. But just in case, let's make a good biblical case um, that that homosexuality is still not accepted by God. Um, so some of the arguments, so you, you'll find it in Leviticus, and some folks will say, well, that's a Mosaic law. You, you know what else you find right around it in Leviticus? <laughs> What's that? Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, because it's in Leviticus 18 and I think 22, and I'm pretty sure it's Leviticus 19 where it's love your neighbor as yourself. Do we throw that one out as well? Right. Just well, it's Leviticus, right? Right. Yeah. And there are some things we throw out, like don't eat shrimp. They don't talk about shrimp, but, you know, shrimp would fall in there or catfish. Um, so we're not going to go on to a full on how do we deal with the... Um, Old Testament, but 
there happens to be a YouTube video that I recorded just for um, some friends who asked a question that if you're watching the YouTube, it will be right before this one that I kind of do deal with that. Okay. But um, anyways, even if, you know, the, if you want to naysay the Leviticus passages, you've got Genesis where God sets up marriage. You've got Matthew 19 where Jesus isn't specifically dealing with homosexuality. He didn't have to. It was known to be bad in that culture. Mm-hmm. Um, he's dealing with divorce. But he repeats the creation order. One man, one woman, one flesh for one lifetime. And he repeats it in such strong words that his disciples are like, if that's how it is, why should, why anyone, married? Why, why should anyone get married? So don't you can't take this as something light because it right. was shocking to his disciples. Yeah. Um, Paul repeats it uh, in the passage that we just read. Um, Romans 1 is kind of a classic one. Right. And so the passage we just read, the word that gets translated as homosexuals is our synecotes. Two words, man and bed, that's put together. Mm-hmm. And uh, some folks push against that. But when you look back at Leviticus and the Septuagint, do you know how that's translated? It's those two words. Mm. And so um, that's what Paul would have had. Do not bet a man. Yeah. Do not lie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I um, haven't heard that before. Right. So it's, yeah. And then, uh, well, and then Romans 1, he doesn't even use the word, but he talks about the plumbing. He says, you know, a man lies with a man as he would with a woman, or, and a woman gives up his, their natural um, use. Use. Yeah. So it's, it's, Pretty clear. Um, I, I don't. The the arguments that have been made, you know, Matthew Vine. Have you heard his argument about? Uh, it's been a while, but I mean, I've James White has dealt with this a good bit, yeah. and I've heard him dealing with a lot of different people on the issue, and no, no argument in favor of active homosexuality from a Christian perspective has ever seemed remotely convincing. Right. Um, I mean, every single instance that we have supports the Genesis narrative. You know, even you go to Ephesians 5 and Paul uses the marriage of a husband and a wife to say that that, that we are actually a picture of how Christ relates to his church. And There's a gender binary, and it is a complementary relationship that God has set up for his glory. And two men or two women or three men or two women, I mean, any other combination fails to show what God is intending to show. So it... And, and, and again, we're not the first people who have ever dealt with this. We're not the first people who have lived in a culture with homosexual behavior around us. And yet, we seem to be about the first generation ever who's had any lack of clarity on the issue. Yeah, and that's what I'll try. I, yeah, I think, like you were saying, even though it was rampant in some of the Roman and Greek cultures, they still recognized it as a vice. It wasn't like the accepted norm. Well, the... the the culture around them might have kind of vacillated a little bit, but the church has never sure. had any lack of clarity. Yeah. Um, so 
and just so no one's, even though you probably, if, if you are, uh, if you do have these thoughts, you may not have made it this far into the video, but, um, I think one of the things that Christians struggle with a lot of times is a balance of grace and truth, um, love plus the truth. And, and, um, no, so if there is someone out there who, you know, is struggling with homosexuality or you find yourself there and you're wondering, you know, what we're saying, we're saying that all men are under condemnation for our sin. And, uh, I remember Ray Comfort, um, if you've ever seen one of his videos, he, you know, often has a microphone and he asks people questions. And there was this guy in drag that came up, you know, just flaming and drag and we're all sitting there like we wonder how he's going to handle this what he's going to talk to him and he goes through the ten commandments with them and he says have you ever lied have you ever stolen have you ever used god's name as a curse word have you always honored your parents and you know there's plenty of other sin in your life other than homosexuality or heterosexual this is nobody's sin. only sin right right <laughs> that would convict you know convict you before holy god that, that you need to go to hell and that's everyone's state and the one savior for that is is christ and so all right anything uh parting words I, I would just say the methodist church stay strong i i don't think this fight is over for them um this this issue is probably going to at some point rage in every uh denomination we'll just see how all the different denominations deal with it. Yeah. So the fight is here to stay for a while at least. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, that's it for this episode. And then we'll come <laughs> back and talk about New York and uh, infanticide and abortion. We have successfully squeezed one episode <laughs> into two. That's right. All right. Uh, Mike and Mike Theology, we'll catch you on the next one. You've been listening to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. 